Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds Warren. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Corn Rose Podcast. I am your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you. Uh, get some feedback, and of course, shoot us any questions, thoughts, comments, and read us over any corners. Caitlin had uh, something really great come out yesterday. I'm sure she will have something great coming out tomorrow and the next day because she's Caitlin Cooper. That's what she does. Um, and I will, of course, have uh, have stuff coming out here and, and, and words on the website as well. Um, I'm really excited today to be joined by Dan Clayton, who is one of the managing editors over at Salt City Hoop. Um, if you are not familiar with Salt City Hoop, they're one of the better, uh, if not the best, uh, Salt Lake City, gosh, Salt Lake City, Utah jazz blogs out there. It's, it's still always crazy to, to think that they're the jazz. I always talk about my <laughs> friends with that, but it's, it's it's fitting now. It's just it's too late at this point. But anyways, Dan, how are you doing, man? Thanks for joining. I'm doing well, man. I'm excited to be here. And and obviously, Jazz Pacers coming up in the in the wee early hours of tomorrow afternoon. So yeah. fun to dive in and, and see if we can uh, guess what's going to happen tomorrow in that day game. Yeah. One, so before we even talk about the game, we gotta say you just haven't made living in uh, in I mean Mountain Time. So that's the only reason I've I've thought about the idea of moving to Denver, <laughs> just for the fact that I could uh, I could start watching games at five p.m. on a regular slate because that's the that's the worst part about the Eastern like living living Eastern time zone. Like it's nice that the games don't tip off till seven, but then at the same time. I am struggling to stay awake every Pacific tip off pretty much. I, I hear you. And I, I lived that for seven years when I lived in New York, I will say that the, the calculus changes a little bit when you have a kid, I have a, oh, I have an 18 month old and um, the, the early games are really like in a way it was kind of nice when I was on the East coast because like games would start at like roughly his bedtime. So I didn't have to worry about like multitasking all the kid duties now it's a little crazy. You know, the Jazz have been back east this last week, so I've been covering games, you know, that start at 5, 5.30 my time, and mm-hmm. and the kid still needs attention, and the wife still needs help, and <laughs> there's stuff going on. So it's yeah. – um, but, yeah, it is it is nice to be back in, in beautiful Utah and uh, knowing that, like, the latest games are going to end by 11 at night. It's kind of nice. That is pretty nice. I We had uh, our Western Conference road trip, I think, was – three weeks ago now and uh i mean staying up to like two o'clock in the morning to get podcasts done i was like oh yeah i was like i cannot wait for this this road trip to be over i've Um, done that yeah i mean stealthily i was like pretty psyched because as you know i mean they were gonna play the the suns uh i was like the second last game in the road trip and it got canceled because of health and safety protocols from phoenix and i was like you know this is it's it's a nice silver lining i wish the game hadn't been canceled but uh, (laughs) it worked out okay um so the first statement I have to make, uh, I, I mean, I do freelance stuff outside of this. So I, I mean, I, it's my job to cover the whole league and a, even if it wasn't my job, I do it anyways. Cause I love basketball. All right. Uh, so I've seen the jazz play probably 11 or 12 times this year. And, uh, they're one of my favorite teams to keep up with on league pass. Um, Rudy Gobert is going to be the best big man in this game uh, tomorrow. As, as much as that is going to irk some of the people listening, that's just the truth. Rudy Gobert is fantastic. Um, I want to start talking right there because I think it's uh, it's different for me because I, I watch him regularly. I talk to people who are you know smarter than I am about basketball. Um, and so I understand the importance of Rudy Gobert and mm-hmm. how, how important he is to the Jazz and what they do. I think a lot of people would look at the team and see Donovan Mitchell leads them in scoring and say he's the best player. Um, unequivocally, just not the case. And as much as I love Donovan, I mean, Rudy's just that good. Um, so what have you seen from Rudy this year? Because I know last year, he, I don't want to say he started slow, but um, he he really got going. The Jazz just kind of, uh, I don't want to say that they stumbled out the gate last year, but a little bit. I mean, they were kind of slow getting out. Um, and they started to pick it up later on. Mike Conley really struggled to integrate. But this year has been just totally different. Yeah, I think that's been the biggest difference is just Conley's comfort level from minute one. And, and you know, I do think at the same time, um, I think Conley's quote unquote struggles were overstated a little bit yeah. and, and are still when everybody looks back, we, we still sort of make a bigger deal of that than it was. It really took him like, you know, four games 
of, of pretty crummy play, frankly. And then he sort of figured it out and played really solid basketball for like a month. Like for that, for that, after his first four games, he averaged for the next 15, he averaged something like 17, five and five. And, um, and then his hammy got hurt and he was playing hurt and then he missed some time. And then he came back and was coming off the bench and then he was reintegrating with the starters. And then it took him a while to get back to where again, he started averaging like 17, four and five. And then the bubble was great. So like there were these, there were these two kind of holes in his play and one was literally four games long. And the other was while he was playing hurt and while he was out. But other than that, Mike actually played pretty solid basketball last year. And I think still had overall a a pretty, a pretty positive impact. But I think you're right that, you know, the engine that drives this jazz team is Rudy Gobert. And I think people, it's easy for people from outside of the jazz sphere to look at Rudy's role and assume that he's, you know, just a defensive player or like a, a defensive player plus like a lob finisher in the mold of DeAndre Jordan mm. or someone like that. He's really, I mean, prime DeAndre Jordan, not today's DeAndre Jordan. Um, he's really so much more than that. And I think, you know, you referenced it. Um, he, the whole jazz offense is really built around his gravity as a role man. The Jazz are putting up historically prolific numbers from three-point land, and they're doing it because teams are just terrified of Rudy Gobert catching on the roll. I mean, teams are sending so many bodies at Rudy Gobert right now, um, and that's just opening a ton up on the perimeter. So he's really important to how they play on, on both ends of the court, and I think that's what a lot of casual observers of the Jazz will miss out on is, is just how important he is to their identity at both ends. Yeah, certainly. I think that's a really great way of putting it. Like a lot of times you'll see the open shots, but not realize they're happening because of Rudy Gobert. Um, I'm a little, you know, I was going through the numbers before in preparing for this and it, it's something that's been an issue for, for the whole season. The Pacers don't give up a ton of three pointers, uh, but they're currently allowing teams to shoot yeah. over 40% from three. Um, and I was watching the, uh, the Hornets game yesterday. Cause I remember I, tu- I tuned in because um it was close at first, and Charlotte has been really good this year, to be fair, or at least better than I think. Feistier than Competent, I thought. Competent, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I saw that the score was close, so I tuned in and then cue the Jazz onslaught, which I feel like <laughs> has happened in at least half the games this year. There's just a 20 or 30 to, to 5 run that goes on uh, because this team hits everything. And I think to people who haven't watched, um, the ball movement is just something to behold, is the way that I would put it. Like uh, – Obviously, Mike Conley is the best passer on the team, but uh, Joe Ingles, uh, Royce O'Neal. Royce O'Neal is one of my favorite players in the league. I love Royce. Um, his complimentary skill set is so good. Like, um, he's not somebody who ever dribbles, really, but his ability <laughs> just to make quick decisions and pass um, to the right man is fantastic. And I think you just see that so much with the team. Like, um, it's it's something I'm a little bit worried about tomorrow for sure. Yeah, I mean, look, you you said it right. Indiana has has a, a little bit of a defensive weakness on the perimeter, which is something that plays into the Jazz. In fact, I think Indiana is kind of a an anomaly defensively um, yeah. in a in a fun in a fun but sometimes maybe problematic way because they they don't allow a lot of threes, but they allow a really high percentage on those threes. They do a really good job of limiting or sorry they don't do a good job of limiting attempts at the rim but they defend rim attempts really well when they do happen so you know i think what's been impressive about the jazz's run you know they've won 14 of their last 15 games coming into this matinee with with indiana um what's been impressive to me is just how many different ways they can win a game um you know they are last i checked here I'll, i'll pull it up so i'm not giving bad information they're still number one in the league in net rating behind the third best offense and the second best defense um and that's cleaning the glass numbers so that that uh factors out um heaves and garbage time mm-hmm. so they're just they're elite they can win a game at a, they can win a fast-paced shoot it out game they can win a grinded out defensive game um you know they've they've held a 20 point lead in every one of their last 15 games, except the two Denver games, which they split. They won one in Denver and they lost one in Denver. So other than those two games, they've just, they've just been a buzzsaw. They've just been smashing teams. And to your point, it has to be a little bit demoralizing for a team like Charlotte or the other night it was Atlanta or it's been New York or, you know, whoever it is and some good teams too, by the way, to get up on them. Sorry, that was, that sounded 
that sounded snotty. I'm not saying those aren't <laughs> no, good no, teams, but you know, like, like, you know, against teams with a positive efficiency differential, they've done the same thing where it's like a team comes out and, and executes a game plan really well and gets up by eight or 10 points. And then the jazz just sort of solve it. They just figure out that, you know, last night it was, it was switching defense against Charlotte, The switching defense really kind of bugged the jazz for a few minutes and got them a little stagnant and the ball wasn't moving as much. And then suddenly like 10 or 12 minutes into the game, they were like, Oh yeah, we, we have counters for switching defenses. Let's just do that stuff. And then suddenly, you know, they were up 15 and, and never really looked back. I mean, Charlotte got, within single digits a couple times in the fourth quarter, but it was, it was never really in doubt. And that's just, that's been the story of the jazz this year is, is they just, they have so many offensive weapons that, uh, that they can, you know, that whatever you try, eventually they're going to find a way to break that defense. And then, you know, their own defense has been pretty solid too, in, in a, in a really unique style that they're playing this year. Yeah. So that's kind of one of the things that I wanted to get into a little bit. Um, I mean, number one, you can point out, uh, I mean, there really isn't a whole ton of roster differences other than Derek Favors right. has been back, um, which I, I love that signing. Um, I've been, I'm, cause I always love Derek Favors. He was just yeah. a great player, great dude too. Um, but other than him, what do you think has really changed this year? And I know health has been big too, um, because health was kind of an issue last year, especially with the starters. Um, but with a team that, I mean, they're, they're nine deep. Uh, occasionally I want to say Mieoni is the 10th man, um, but he doesn't play yeah. a ton. But uh, I mean, just looking at how deep the nine man rotation is and how well they've been playing, what has been different from last year so starkly, especially defensively? Is it, has it been just Derek favors in your mind or like, well, I'd say two things. Number one. So what the Derek favors reacquisition did is it allowed them to keep their defense consistent for 48 minutes. Yeah. Um, Derek Favors is not the same caliber of paint protector as Rudy Gobert, but he, but he like 17 tiers above Tony Bradley. So yeah, exactly. Like, like he does the same, he plays the same spiritual role in the defense, right? So you can still have a funneling defense. You can still have a defense that channels people towards the middle um, and gets help there from the bigs. Whereas last year they sort of tried to keep things the same. That's, that's actually the reason they went away from Ed Davis early in the season. First of all, Ed Davis wasn't very good for them last season. Um, so they went away from Ed and went and instead tried Tony Bradley, but Tony Bradley just doesn't impact anybody in the paint. Doesn't, doesn't impact drivers. Doesn't change shots for the most part. Um, and, and so it was hard for them to keep the defense the same when Gobert was out of the game. And if, and if you go look at the Jazz's quality when Gobert was in the game versus when he was sitting that was really the story of last season so that's one thing is you know bringing favors back is really important because you know he's only going to play 16 minutes a night but those 16 minutes are going to be competent minutes where jazz bench units are going to be you know holding their own and, and even extending leads against um against other bench units that just don't have that caliber of play they've also been staggering um so they make an early sub where Rudy and Mike are the first guys out from the starting unit. And then they come back and play a stretch against bench units for a few minutes. And then they come get a rest again before they go back in to close the halves. So they've been doing like three stints per half. Rudy and Mike have been, and that's just allowed the jazz a little bit of a different look. They, you know, they have a few minutes where they play with um, Jordan Clarkson, Derek favors and the rest of the starters and then, uh, and then bench units benefit from having Mike's playmaking and Rudy's defense. So it just kind of gives them a way to sort of stagger their talent and get the most out of, you know, you said it, they have, they have eight really good guys and their front eight is probably about as good as anybody's front eight in the league. Their ninth man is George Ning. He's pretty capable too within what his role is, but mm -hmm. you know, those, those main eight guys, any of those eight would probably start on most teams in the league. Not every team, right? Like, you know, other some teams are set up pretty well at guard and wouldn't necessarily start at Jordan Clarkson. Some teams have a lot of bigs and wouldn't necessarily start at Derek Favors. But, you know, those are eight guys who are starter caliber in broad terms. And um, and it just that gives them a lot of combinations that they can do to to put to piece together 48 minutes of of cogent, capable combinations. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really great way of putting it. And I think you bring up a good point. We haven't talked about him yet, but Jordan Clarkson uh, has been a, I, I mean, I want to say surprise. He's always been a dude who I enjoy because he, he, he played in Cleveland, yeah. did not work out super well in Cleveland. 
Um, just his entire career, he's never been like a, the modicum of uh, being an efficient <laughs> basketball player. Yeah. But just last year, I mean, he figured it out. Because I remember when the Jazz made the trade for Jordan Clarkson, I was like, this is this is the trade for a six-man and bench help. And it was it was perfect. I mean, it's worked yeah. so freaking well. He's been nor- – I mean, six-man six man of the year tends to just go to whoever scores the most points off the bench. But sure. you look at him, yep. and he's actually making an impact. It's not like – um, just empty calorie scoring. I think he's been one of the most important players for the, I mean, all of the eighth man, eight, eight guys in rotation have been important, but um, what he's been doing has been just tremendous. Like watching him shoot. It's like, I mean, he's finally come back down to earth a little bit, uh, but uh, still yeah. he's almost 50, 40, 90. It's been just ridiculously efficient. Yeah. He's I'm, I'm one of those people too, who, um, <laughs> who, who questioned that move. Um, part, part of that is because, I think the jazz did mismanage the asset value, like forget his basketball value and all the injuries, but Dante Exum at one point in the recent history still had trade value and they didn't trade him then. And they waited until he didn't have any trade value to the point where they'd have to attach picks to him to get him, you know, out for a a decent player. And, and so I was critical of the Jordan Clarkson trade initially, primarily because of that reason, but also because of what you said, Clarkson has just historically not been, an efficient player. He's, he has been sort of an empty calories bench guy on bad teams for his entire career. Um, he, he, um, you know, I, I didn't know how that would work. I thought, and, and to be honest with you, like still, even today, even as important as he is, his decision-making is very linear in contrast to the rest of the intricate jazz offense, right? Like the jazz kind of, when Jordan Clarkson's on the court, they have two offenses. They have, you know, Mike Conley or Joe Ingles will bring the ball down and initiate the set and they'll run a play or Jordan Clarkson has the ball. And then it's kind of the Jordan Clarkson show. And so, you know, because that's his tendency and that's his MO and frankly, that's what he's good at. Like, I'm not even saying that as an insult, like that's what Jordan Clarkson can do. You can give him the ball and say, go get me a bucket. And those guys are valuable on on the benches of good teams. But because that's how he plays, I didn't know how it would fit in with a jazz team that has some really strong principles built in about what their offensive preferences are and how they want to play and how they want to, you know, create an advantage with multiple layered actions and then attack that advantage as opposed to just sending one guy at the hoop like a battering ram. But Jordan Clarkson has been that battering ram. And to your point, he's been efficient at it. He's also cleaned up his shot profile from his LA and Cleveland days. He has taken, I think, two long twos his entire season this year. He's just completely eliminated sort of the mid-rangery from his game. Um, He still does take some short mid stuff like, you know, paint floaters because that's a big part of the jazz offense. Mm -hmm. Um, Jazz drivers need to be able to make that shot because of Rudy Gobert's roll gravity. Um, That's a shot that's going to be open. And so, you know, Conley takes a bunch of those. Donovan takes a bunch of those and Clarkson certainly eats there. Um, So yeah, he's, he's a guy who has certainly proven me wrong and proven a long list of other people wrong. Um, And, and even though like, you know, you can tell the difference palpably between a Jordan Clarkson possession and the rest of the jazz offense. Sometimes a good team needs that sometimes, especially when, you know, defenses are overplaying or, or you're playing against a switchy team or whatever. Sometimes you just need a guy who can just manufacture his own bucket in a way that, that makes little sense in the construct of modern analytical basketball, but you know, two points is two points and and three points is three points. And he does that well too. He's up over 30% shooting from three on the year. He's been, he's been really important to them. Yeah. I think that's a great point too. Like um, it's really easy to get super uh, and I'm definitely an analytical person too. And you can get really in the weeds and like sunk in with, Oh, well, like look at how well they're playing. Like, I mean, I think Quinn Snyder is probably the best X's and O's coach in the league or at least in getting it to happen on court. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful shit to watch, frankly. Um, but it's, there's just something to having somebody who can be a switch hitter coming off the bench and yeah. doing something completely Great different way of from it. what you're doing. Like, uh, I mean, unfortunately we never get to see it because he's always starting, even though he should be the sixth man because everybody's injured. Uh, Jeremy lamb. I mean, he's fantastic sure. at that. He's like a very similar role, not quite as good as Jordan Clarkson, but, um, like is able to just kind of manufacture his own shot and his, own herky-jerky way and it's not always beautiful but it's something different that you can throw out a defense if if you bog down or things aren't working so I think that's important um I think one of the things I really wanted to hit on today too that's interesting to me is um this jazz team a I mean I think number one I uh 
I, I, I don't want to call myself a small market apologist, but I'm definitely somebody <laughs> who uh, I get frustrated with, uh, with the narrative that, oh, you know, this team is not going to win a championship in the next three or four years. They should blow it up. Um, cause I think there was a lot of that centered around Utah last year after they lost in the first round, which I also want to point out to people, uh, Mike missed most of that series and Bojan was out for the entire series. And that I, I think if Bojan doesn't even go seven games, it's pretty fair to say. Um, so yeah, I mean, you look at that, that could have easily been the jazz making it, you know, to the second round or to the Western conference finals if things go differently. Um, and also, as, as people who are listening know, I, I don't really care about winning the championship. I think there's a lot more to sure. season than that. Obviously, yeah. that's an end goal for a lot of teams. Um, but more importantly, like just watching them get there and the way that they're getting there is important. Um, so I think this Jazz team, what what do you think about their um, kind of off, not off season, uh, what, what is their post postseason trajectory right now? Or like, what do you think about um, – kind of where they're headed with this year is it like do you or do you think there are any moves that, that they would maybe make or anything like that uh yeah I'm, I'm writing about that right now about about just how so you know today's the day that that most guys in the nba become tradable because yeah. people who sign off-season deals can now be traded and um so because of that I, I was just writing a trade season piece and recognizing as i was doing it just how silly it is to t- even talk about trade season when you're covering an 18 and 5 team yeah, right like right. what do they need i think to your point about just the continuity that was lacking last season that they finally have this year um here's something not many people realize from the outside um 13 13 is the number of games that the jazz had after the clarkson trade when mike was back healthy before Boyan Bogdanovich missed the rest of the season due to his wrist. So this, the current group, and, and that was, you know, Favors wasn't even there because Favors was, in, was with the Pellies last year. But, you know, the, the group that really should have been Utah's core group going into last year's postseason had 13 games together in the regular season, zero in the postseason, because as you mentioned, Bogey was out and Mike Conley missed a couple of games to go be with his wife for the birth of their, their kid. So, I mean, just, it it was really tough. I think coming out of last year to get a baseline read for like, okay, what is the jazz's starting point? Where are they, where, what's their point of departure as they head into 2021? Because I don't think anybody really knew what they were last season. People pretended Mm -hmm. like they knew, but again, when you put that in the context of, when Mike was out and when he wasn't and the midseason trade that made a huge difference in how they operated and then bogey missing the playoffs and the bubble. Um, I just don't think anybody really, really knew now that they have established their baseline, you know, to your question about postseason prognosticating and I'm, and I'm not big on, you know, like, I don't know how the postseason will play out mm-hmm. like you. I also kind of like it matters. It matters perhaps more than anything else, but like, Milwaukee fell short in last year's playoffs and that doesn't change my view that Milwaukee is an elite team and a team that's headed for special things. Right. Sometimes I think we fall in love with what happens in, in the small sample of a week and a half long playoff series. And that starts to mean more to us than what a team's DNA is over time. And so I'm trying to get a sense for Utah's DNA. And, you know, again, they're, they've got the third best offense, the second best defense. Um, they're the only team in the league that is top five in both, which tends to be a pretty good omen of postseason success, right? Mm-hmm. Um, LA is close. The Lakers are seventh in offense, first in defense. Um, Boston is top 10 in both, but not top five in either. So, you know, you look at that. Um, my friend Ben Dowsett from Jazz Film Room tweeted today that the Jazz's net rate, their, their efficiency differential, and again, this is without garbage time, their efficiency differential just crept over 12 they're at 12.0 after last night's win against Charlotte. Um, the only teams in the history of cleaning the glasses database to be over 12 were the 08 Celtics, the 15 Warriors, and the 17 Warriors. Now, there's a difference between doing it for 23 games and doing it for a season. So I think that's, I, you know, at that point, that's what this shifts to in the conversation for the Jazz. It's can they sustain some of the stuff they're doing over a full season? Um, they're about to head into, they've, they've played an average schedule. It's not like they've played a cupcake schedule. Mm -hmm. They've played, I think like the 17th toughest schedule to date, but they're about to head into a stretch where, you know, 
Indiana's a solid team that they're about to face on the road in the fourth game of a four and six. Then they go home and they're going to see Boston and Milwaukee and Miami and someone else from the East that I'm, that I'm forgetting someone else good in the Boston, Milwaukee. Oh, Philly. Yeah. So basically the three best teams in the East plus um, the reigning Eastern conference champions who are underperforming this year, but you know, they're the Eastern conference champions. Um, Then they go to, to LA for two games against the Clippers. Then they come home for a game against the Lakers. So, you know, like if we're talking in two weeks after the jazz have headed, have, have weathered that stretch, will they still be the third best offense and the second best defense after facing nothing but, but top 10 teams for a two week period of time? Probably not. And, and I guess that's what remains to be seen is, is how will this defensive system um, hold up when instead of, you know, facing LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward, they're facing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, or, or frankly, even Malcolm Brogdon and Domana Sabonis, right? I mean, you, the, the Pacers have a, a solid identity. They know what they want to accomplish on offense. That's going to be a tough game for them too, especially with, with the travel and the lack of rest factored in. So they have a, a tough stretch coming up, and I think we'll, we'll sort of figure out here if they're as real as they look in a lot of the macro measurements from the first 23. That was a long answer. Sorry. No, no, that was, that was great. Honestly, I, I think um, one of the things that I've been looking at, because I've been feeling similarly about the Pacers, like they've kind of gone through that, that ringer a little bit. Now they got some of uh they got a little bit of national attention uh, after I think they started eight and four uh, right around there, which was better than I thought they would, would be and they're 12 and 11 now, which is kind of right about where I was thinking um, given, I mean, some of the injuries that they're dealing with and yeah, sure. Uh, all the unfortunate stuff that goes on with that. But um I think it's a team that's still trying to figure out consistency after having a lot of turnover um, just with the coaching staff, like having a, a new coaching staff, new systems yeah. in place. Like this is the first time they've played uh, an aggressive brand of defense in my entire lifetime. So, like, I mean, they've always been very conservative play, put, put every man yeah. on an Island and funnel stuff to the rim. Um, so it's just, yeah, I mean, very, we were, to, we were yeah, talking yeah. about the 13 Pacers. That was kind of the team that made, you know, drop big contain defense, you know, oh, exactly. like Roy Hibbert was like the poster child for the whole verticality argument for like half a decade. So I know what you mean. Like, uh, you know, a lot of teams ran into the wall of those pacers for that, for those defensive reasons. And, and this group is a lot more hyper and, and uh, energetic, you know, on the, from the top and, and um, it's, it's fun to watch, but yeah, it's, it, it is different and requires some chemistry. Yeah. And some, like, it's, it's, it's funny too, cause it's different. And it's, I, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm trying to figure out where I'm at on it because they, I, I kind of have this idea that I feel like they, uh, they try and do a lot of, and Caitlin's wrote a lot about it too. I'm sure, I don't know if you've read Caitlin's stuff. I'm sure, sure you have, if you've ever read anything Pacers, she's fantastic. But um, I mean, they play a, a lot like the Toronto Raptors, especially on defense, but it's been a little bit frustrating because I think that there are tweaks they could make so that you're not trying to play the exact same brand that they do because you just frankly don't have the the group to do that. Like um, so often they get killed by the corner corner threes just because, I mean, sending miles Turner or Demonis Sabonis to close on the corner is not the same as sending Pascal Siakam or Rondé right. Hollis Jefferson to, to go close on the corner. So that's been different. Um, but again, like the, the changes have been good. There are just been like, there, there are like some things that are preliminary that I, I hope that we see changed. Um, but all in all, I mean, the biggest problem is that they're missing TJ Warren and not even yeah. for his offense. I think defensively has been the biggest problem because there's nobody on this team who is forward size that can like at least stick with or be in front of LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George, yeah. any of the big right. wings. And so that was the question I wanted to ask you. It's not even really anything that you're going to have to worry about with the Pacers, but what are your thoughts on on Utah and not really having that guy. Cause as good as, I mean, if, if Royce O'Neal was six, seven or six, eight, he'd be all defense, but unfortunately, like he just, and not even unfortunately, he's still really good. Like it, it yeah. sounds almost like uh, unfair to him to put it like that, but it's just the fact of the matter. Like Royce O'Neal is not, he's you're asking a lot out of him to guard LeBron James for an entire game or, or a playoff series. So, so here's what the Jazz decided last offseason, right? Like they could have gone out and signed a wing stopper. Um, and, and we could talk about who that might have been. I, I don't think there were that many like yeah, there weren't three really and D. Like probably, honestly, the best in the list, the, the best guy that was available 
um, in that mold was Justin Holiday, who who signed a pretty economical deal to stay in Indiana. So, like I, you know, that's probably like the if if the Jazz's plan B was let's go get a defensive wing and try to address that, that's probably as good as you're getting, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, what they decided to do, and that's not a slide on Justin Holiday, who whom I like and whatever, but you know, he's he's limited too because he's oh, wiry yeah. and he's you know like a LeBron, a Kawhi is not going to be that bothered by by Justin Holiday. Um, what the Jazz decided to do instead is they're like, hey, if we get a second anchor big so that our interior defense is great for 48 minutes, then we'll, then what we'll do, what's that going to do is that's going to lift everybody on the, everybody else's wing defense up. So mm-hmm. instead of trying to like get a guy who can be the designated LeBron stopper, what they did is they are trying to make everybody from Don to Royce, to Joe Ingles, to, to Boyan, that much better on the perimeter because their whole system now, they're kind of the inverse of Miami. You know how Miami's philosophy is like, we don't care, we'll give up threes as long as you never get to the rim against yeah. us, right? And the Jazz have kind of done the opposite. The, the Jazz's defensive identity is, we're not going to give you uncontested threes. We're going we're gonna to close out hard. We're going to close out smart, but we're going to close out hard. We're going to send you into the paint. That's their, that's their mentality. So they send guys out at shooters. They defend aggressively on the perimeter, knowing that they're daring people to take on Gobert in the, in the paint and favors, but you know, mostly Gobert. And they know that there's a cost to that. The, the Jazz's rim defense this year has been pretty average. They're allowing a fairly average number of shots at the rim, and the percentage the guys are shooting at the rim is also fairly average, but they're playing the percentages. They know that if they can allow average performance in the paint by opposing offenses, um, and but not allowing any threes, and then mid-range stuff, sure, you can have as much of that as you want, they tell teams. That's kind of how they play. And so their philosophy is that 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 signing and that sort of orientation around one kind of defense um, for for, you know, the whole game, as opposed to just when Rudy's on the court, um, that allows everybody else to defend harder and more aggressively on the perimeter. That's been their approach. Um, Is it perfect? No, because. You know, occasionally they face a team that has a guy that's that's a hot mid-range shooter. So they're going to, you know, against Phoenix, it was Chris Paul. That was one of their five losses was Chris Paul because he's a wizard in the mid, mid-range. And he spent his whole career taking that shot the defenses are willing to give him, pulling up at the free throw line and making a little a little fader. Um, you know, they, they struggled badly. Their one bad game in this last 15-game stretch was Denver because Denver has both a guard who can get some stuff done off the dribble and they have a big guy in Nikola Jokic that forces Rudy Gobert to do some things that are a little out of scheme for him and a little different. And, and the way they tried to mitigate that in this most recent Denver game backfired on them badly and they got blown off the court. And so, you know, like it's not going to work every night, but it's going to, it's going to, most nights it's going to give them chances to win. And then the fact that they can score and, and um, that they're so explosive from the three point line, just means that you know that makes it that much harder because teams are teams are banking on the Jazz to have a bad night on the offensive end and a bad night on the defensive end in order to win a game against them, and there just aren't that many nights that they're bad on both ends because, like I say, they can they can win games in a lot of different ways now. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I think that's a, an awesome way to put it. Um, I'm really interested to see how that plays out a over this next two weeks and just the rest yeah. of the season because it's been effective, and I think. Uh, I mean, you really see, I mean, I, I want to say Tony Bradley had just about the worst on-offs in the league last year. It was like a negative yeah. 18 points for 100 or something like that because of how good Rudy was and right. how not good he was, um, which it's, it's kind of weird because he's actually been semi-decent in Philly this year. Um, not amazing, but like, it's just funny how it works out. But um, I'm interested to see how that plays out the rest of the season because Derek's been really good too. He's looked a lot better than he did in the bubble, I thought. Um so let's let's shift this a little bit before we get out of here. What are, what are your thoughts on Indiana so far um, from what you've seen of them? And also from somebody who's watched a multi-time defensive player of the year, uh, what are your thoughts on Miles Turner so far? Uh, you know, I like Miles. I, I think Miles is more of a disruptor yeah, than like a stifling defensive presence, right? Like mm-hmm. um, he's fun to watch and, and he's great. I think the Pacers on the whole, I, I, I think they're an interesting team. I, I think that they're, uh, 
um, better than their record indicates for sure. You know, we were just talking about how last year's Jazz only had 13 games together with their core group. Indiana's going through a season like that, right? You know, before the depot injury or before the depot trade, he was in and out of the lineup. Then, you know, they swap out depot for Karis Levert. He hasn't played yet because of that sad situation. And, and luckily it looks like he's on the mend and, and, you know, will play basketball again, whenever, whenever that happens, you mentioned um, Warren going in and out of the lineup. Who else? You've had someone else in your core rotation. Who's, who's missed some time. Miles um, missed some time, didn't he? Who? Miles, or maybe it was Sabonis. Oh uh, yeah, missed Miles missed two games because he, he still has a fracture in his hand right yeah, now. He's been playing right. through it. Um, yeah. So they're just a team. They're just a team that, like last year's Jazz, we I don't think I don't think we know what they are yet or what they have yet. Um, I've always been a big Karis Levert guy, so I'm excited about that for the Pacers. I I think he's um, like I don't think he's necessarily title alpha good today he, he might he might get there right i try to yeah. i try to keep an open mind and be growth mindset about these things because you know especially being a fan of the jazz like not that long ago rudy gobert was playing for the bakersfield jam right so like yeah. i try to remember that guys do get better and and that it's not terribly uncommon you know joe ingles was a waiver claim um it, it, the Clippers cut him from their training camp roster in 2014. The Jazz swooped him in up on waivers, and now he's the all-time franchise leader in three-pointers made. So, you know, could Karis Levert change his trajectory and get to a point where he's, you know, a, a all-NBA player? Maybe, but I but I do think that comfortably today he can say that he has a ceiling as like, you know, a, a top 30 guy who um, who's scoring, you know, a lot of points for a good team someday especially a good team that has other pieces um, in place. Like, you know, I, I really like the, um, I really like the, the Brogdon Sabonis synergy. I, I think that uh, the, with the new coaching staff, they've leaned away from that a little bit and they're yeah. looking at Aaron holiday and some other people to handle the ball more. And I kind of wish they wouldn't. I think, I think Brogdon um, can do a lot of damage with, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be like a Memphis era Mike Conley who runs 60 pick and rolls a game, but I do think that uh, he's he's good with the ball in his hands and and he makes them better. Um, and I think that 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 particular combination with what Sabonis can do as a rolling and popping big, um, and and with Brogdon's with Brogdon's game, I, I just think that's a harder to defend pick and roll than mm -hmm. the other versions that Indiana deploys. Um, so I do think that, you know, once they get everybody sort of fully deployed and back healthy and, and, um, you know, Karis Levert deals with his, his kidney thing and, and recovers from that surgery. I think that's going to be a good team, a good solid team. I think, you know, will they crack the contender class that depends on, um, again, the whole growth mindset idea of, will some of these guys take their game to another level? Right. Cause I don't, I don't look at them now as a team that has, you know, a Rudy Gobert level, you know, this one player is your ticket to the top 10 in the NBA. Yeah. I don't think they have that. I think they, they get there by committee today. And that's for, for me, I find that fun and, and more interesting maybe than the other thing. Um, like when I lived in Brooklyn, it was the Kenny Atkinson days before Kyrie and before Kevin Durant. And, and that was like fun. a fun, that, right. Like that team. And look, they're going to be great now and they're going to make, you know, multiple conference finals appearances and probably some finals appearances too. And, and they're going to be good and get a lot of attention, but those plucky teams where it was like, you know, we just got 11 capable NBA dudes and we're going to play hard and play smart. And we're going to come at you. Like, that's fun to me. I agree. And Indiana is better than, better than that. But I don't know that they're necessarily a contender today and they might get there if, if one or two guys can really, um, you know, sort of smash the ceiling of what people think is available to them. Right. Which, which happens, like I say, it happens all the time. It happened to Rudy. Um, and in a way it happened to Donovan too, who was, you know, people forget he was the 13th pick in the draft. He was not projected to be a superstar. Um, so, you know, that's the fun part about following this game is seeing who's going to be the next guy to just confound all of us and, and make us look dumb and, um, and perform at a level nobody saw coming. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I mean, I think I've seen that with Domas too. I didn't have any inkling that he was going to be this good 
Yeah. And I remember following him when he was at Gonzaga and I thought he'd be a really quality player who would do a lot of the stuff he's doing now, but I didn't think, you know, the level of his handle getting here. Um, I didn't think he was going to be as efficient as of a post-up player as he's ended up being. I mean, he's completely blown everything out of the water. He's still, he's only like a year older than I am. So it's like, it's very different. <laughs> right, like, it's it's right. like it, we think of, of it in terms of, Oh, this guy's been in the league for six years already. I'm like, well, miles has been in the six year in, in the league for six years and he's only 24. Like, so yeah. it's very, it's just interesting how it works out, but um, okay, so yeah, Miles is another guy who like he could still have levels left in his yeah, game, right? Exactly, like, and he's improved um, a lot this year. Like defensively, exactly, he's at a whole other level, and offensively, his numbers aren't different, but he's doing things a lot differently and just seeing the floor a lot better and yeah, uh, playing much uh, much quicker and, and uh, in a in a different way than he has before. So that would that's all right. That's the last thing I'll ask. What do you think about them playing double big? Um, what it, like it just in your opinion? <laughs> uh, because I, I go back and forth on it in my head and, and what I think about it uh, moving forward. But but what do you think? Indy about or the Jazz? Indy. Indy. Um, you know, I think like the, the Jazz have this parallel conversation going on all the yeah. time, right? Because before Favors left, he played, um, he basically started halves next to Rudy mm-hmm. and played like five or six minutes and then subbed out. And he'd come back in as the backup center and then someone else would close the half at the four. So he basically played like 10 to 12 minutes a night as the four and got the rest of his minutes backing up Rudy. And that's how he stayed over 20 minutes for his jazz tenure. And now he's back and Quinn Snyder just seems allergic to playing him at the four. And, and a lot of people, myself included, just wonder if, if there are certain nights where you could get away with it, right? Um, it didn't work great in the, in the Ricky Rubio days because Ricky Rubio was, was spacing challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, if you, but if you looked at the, if you took out Rubio and looked at the minutes where it was Gobert, Favors, and three shooters, those were ridiculously efficient lineups on both offense and on defense. And so now that the Jazz don't have, I mean, I love Rubio. Rubio, I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm speaking ill of Rubio. He's he's great and fun and and was awesome in in a Jazz uniform, um, and part of some of their biggest playoff moments of the last decade. But you know, he's not a shooter. He's not a threat. And so now that they've replaced him with, you know, they could they could play Gobert favors lineups and put three shooters around them, and I think that they'd be fine. And I think that'd be a really difficult team to score on. So back to Indiana. Like, I, I think it's the same thing, right? Like, I think it's a function of who else is on the court with them. Obviously, it's a little different because both of those guys have a little bit of pick and pop. I mean, Domas more than than Miles. Um, but, like, you know, both of those guys can space the floor, too. So, I think that if there's a, a combination of guys that can make two bigs work, it is Indiana. But, like I say, it's, it's always just a function of, okay, what else is on the court with you and how are teams – what, what's going to be available to teams. You never want to give teams like a, a Tony Allen type option to just hide someone or, or, you know, like the jazz faced Dallas twice last week. And what they did was they had Gobert guard Dorian Finney Smith, because when you're guarding Dorian Finney Smith, you don't actually have to guard Dorian Finney Smith. So they basically had, they were basically just leaving DFS in the corner so that Gobert could play free safety and they put smaller guys like bogey and uh, bogey and um, Royce O'Neal on Kristaps Porzingis because they know that Kristaps Porzingis wants to spend the night at the three point line. So it's just stuff like that. Like you can't give teams an obvious way to say, um, you know, we, we just don't have to guard that guy. And as long as you don't have that, I, I still think too big alineations, too big alignments can work in the modern NBA. I think, more teams than we realize are still running a lot of minutes with a traditional lineup like that, um, including some very good ones, right? I mean, like LA plays a lot of minutes with Anthony Davis at the four, um, probably a little less than last season, but they still do. And um, so I think it is important to have that, that option, but yeah, you, you, it is, it is going to be an ongoing story for Indiana, just like it was during the previous Rudy Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors years. It was. It seemed like it's all national guys wanted to talk about. How are you guys still playing two giant bigs every night and starting games that way? Um, but I. But they, I'm, I think if I remember correctly, I wrote an article on them last year 
um, on like, you know, how the Utah's defense was, you know, just, I mean, Derek favors being gone made just a huge impact on it. I want to say yeah. if I, if I have the numbers correctly in my head, lineups containing favors and Gobert per cleaning the glass were like, I think they're, they were like a 97 defensive rating over three years. Like it insane. was, yeah, it was like, crazy. So good. freaking good. Yeah. Now the versions that had, that also included Ricky Rubio couldn't score either. So that yeah. was the problem. But um, you know, again, you, we focus way too much on like how much is this guy scoring and whatever. And, and the reality is the basketball is still a five on five game. So as long as, you know, as long as teams still have that guy, who's sort of the the pressure release valve on offense, then I think, I think you can play a lot of different ways. I don't, I'm one of those people. I don't think there's one template to win a championship, right? Like before MJ won a championship, the conventional wisdom around the NBA was you couldn't win with a volume scoring shooting guard as your best player. That was like circa 1990. That was what people said, you know, before Steph, you couldn't win with a run and gun point guard as your best player. So, um, or before Detroit, you couldn't win without a true superstar. Like we have all these rules about what you're allowed to have if you're going to compete and contend for championships. And the reality is that all those rules are only true until someone breaks them or proves them wrong. And um, I think you can be good in a lot of different ways in the NBA, um, as long as you're not giving teams a, a, an easy out in terms of how to play you. Yeah, I think it's a great way of looking at it. I uh, I think I feel similarly. Like, I, you know, I, I, I oftentimes like toggle in my mind, like, is it better to um, to try and, you know, do more conventional stuff or you look at it, okay, do we try and do something so funky that nobody else is is doing, or at least not to the level that we right. are, and that's our way? Because yeah, if Zig you try and play conventionally, acts, right? like yeah, if you try and play conventionally, like the Clippers are, like okay, we'll just go small all the time, have a bunch of wings. Like honestly, that's probably one of the better ways to play basketball. They can play like five guys on the court who are all six eight that can shoot and handle a little bit. I mean, that's fantastic ball, but like we can't. I mean, no, we can't play that way. We don't have that those kind of guys, and we're not going to be able to get them here unless we do like some serious rewiring and probably tanking for a few years frankly like that's just not going to happen and even then if you do that it's it's indiana you're not it's not la and part of the reason why la is different is you can get the buyout guys or you can get the guys who are uh, willing to to come for a cheaper price than if, if you're indiana i mean it makes a difference um yeah but i mean i'm i'm looking now and i'm probably not telling you anything you don't know because you're more ensconced in indiana basketball than i am but like it looks like with their three high minute lineups with those two guys in the lineup, the issue is, is more on the defensive end yeah, and it's, it's than on the offensive end. So, you know, that's the other thing too, is, is, you know, if you're going to play that way, you're probably asking one of those two guys to stay in front of some perimeter players. And, and um, you know, I, I think Turner, Turner probably has that in him, but I, I don't know how that's playing out in their season. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the question is just if if they can defend, I think they have the tools to get it done offensively. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, uh, and Miles has been good, but the problem is if he's on the perimeter, it's like the same thing. Like Rudy's capable of guarding people on the perimeter. I always get pissed off when people say that he got played hey, off yeah. the court against Houston because it's just A, blatantly wrong, and B, stupid. But, like, I mean, it's the same thing with Miles. Like he's capable of doing it, but you lose out so much and you're doing him a disservice if he's not protecting the rim because that's what he's so good at. Yeah. Yeah. Someone, someone who has second spectrum access told me that Rudy Gobert actually for like three straight seasons has ranked number one in the league at defending an isolation. And that includes plays that end with the isolation player attempting a shot or turning the ball over or the isolation player kicking it to an open shooter. So Rudy is actually way better to defend on an Island than anybody realizes. Mm -hmm. But then the problem is, He's not doing what you really want him to do, which is anchoring your defense from the paint. So it's one of those things where like, yeah, you, you want your player to develop and, and to be able to guard multiple situations. But if the team defense is stronger by playing a certain way, then, you know, you, you have to look at that and, and again, make the decision that results in the best five on five defense, not just, Hey, how can we shut this guy down on a drive? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think in like the next two or three years, my goal is like that this Pacers team kind of molds into Utah East. And I think you can obviously pull a lot of similarities into how uh, the ownership and front office handles things and what they sure. want. You know, both teams are trying to be competitive always. Um, 
So I, I think that's the avenue for Indiana to be this kind of team, hopefully in, in two or in, in a year or two, you know, May, maybe a year is ambitious, but somewhere around there. Right. Um, Cause the, and, the core is still pretty young, but. Yeah. And frankly, the, the jazz rose to prominence again by in some ways emulating and being the Pacers West, uh, yeah. you know, when we, when you talk about that old, those old Roy Hibbert Pacers teams, um, you know, that was really the jazz, a little more so under Gordon Hayward um, than today's version. That's a little, that, that's more guard oriented mm-hmm. than, you know, the Paul George Indiana Pacers were, but yeah, I, I think you're right. I think in terms of culture and, and principles and just basketball philosophy, there are some similarities there. And that's one of the reasons why, I do find Indiana to be an interesting team. I'm, I'm, I like watching them. I like that they're, that they're capable and on the rise. And I do think that once they get everybody together, which hasn't happened yet with this group because of, you know, the Levert stuff and the, the TJ Warren stuff, I do think once they get everybody back healthy playing together, um, there's a chance that it could congeal in a, in a really interesting way that, that could make them, you know, that, that could allow them. I mean, they, they, they're like already, sort of a sub elite team. If you think about the tiers in the Eastern conference, like mm-hmm. they're not there with Milwaukee and Boston and Philly, but they're not that far from that group in terms of, you know, a lot of macro indicators. So I'm excited to see how it comes together for them over the next couple of years as well. Yeah, me too. Well, in looking at tomorrow, I am 100% going to pick Utah to win this game. I know that they're going to be coming off of a, obviously it's on a road trip for them. For, like you mentioned, fourth game in six days. But this team is so good, and I think that they can hammer Indiana in ways that they do not respond well to. Um, I'm hopeful that it will be a close game and that Indy somehow pulls it out, but um, I would 100% put my money on Utah going in. Well, I'll give you a little bit of reason for hope on the Indiana side. Um, Mike Conley did leave last night's game with oh, some wow. hamstring okay. tightness. And um, as far as I have seen, I don't think there's any update on his status for tomorrow. If he doesn't go tomorrow, that does alter things a little bit because the, the as, as dynamic and electric as both Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson are, the Jazz run a more cohesive team offense when Mike has the ball more mm-hmm. often than not. So if he misses, then I, you know, I do think then the question is, how are the Jazz going to execute? Are they going to get... Um, you know, are they going to get mature execution from those guys and from Joe Ingles, who will also handle the ball a lot in that situation? But yeah, that's going to be a big question is, is Mike's status for tomorrow? That'll make a big difference in the trajectory of that game. Yeah, definitely. As far as I'm aware with the Pacers, nobody's out tomorrow except for, of course, TJ and Karras. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Dan, I appreciate your time. I, I, I kept you longer than I said I would. So that's my no bad. worries. Fun um, to talk about. Oh, definitely, man. Uh, where can people find you at? Or is there anything that you have in the works right now that you, you uh, know about? Yeah. So saltcityhoops.com is, is the website I run. I, I have a weekly column that drops every Monday with a bunch of um, it's a, it's a monster piece with a bunch of different angles that cover different aspects of the, the previous week in jazz land. Um, as well as fun writing from a bunch of other writers there on Twitter. I'm Dan Clayton, but replace the O with a zero. So Dan Clayton, zero N. Um, and, you know, yeah, it'd be fun to interact with, uh, with more folks from out there in the, in the frigid Midwest as we slog through this pandemic yeah. winter. I'm just counting down the days until it is like May because <laughs> yeah, I'm over. I know. I we'll know. get there, man. Uh, well, Dan, all I right. appreciate it to everyone listening. Of course, thank you for listening. Follow Dan, all his stuff. And just have a good rest of your day. Go Pacers.